What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'm Telling TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Josh Shields. Got lots to do, lots to talk about here on this uh, weekend of October the 15th and 16th, the year 2021. Got lots to do, lots to talk about here on a busy weekend in sports. Recap the game five of the 2021 NLDS between the Giants and the Dodgers that was here at the top. Preview the American League and National League Championship Series that will commence uh, later on this weekend. Recap uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers holding on to dear life and beating the Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday night football uh, on Thursday night. And we'll preview week six of the National Football League that is yet to come later on on Sunday. So let's jump right into it and begin what was a f- absolutely phenomenal game five of uh, the NLDS between the Giants and the Dodgers on um, their final meeting of the 2021 season, final meeting of the year. Both teams, including postseason wins, had 109 wins, dead even. Giants won the, you know, escaped the wild card game and won their division by a mere game. You know, one of the best rivalries, one of the best rivalries uh, in baseball and arguably in sports between the Giants and the Dodgers that go back over a hundred years back to when those two teams played each other uh, back in the uh, late uh, late 1800s and all throughout the early 1900s when they were in New York. A fantastic game. You know, get series tied at two games apiece. Loser's season ends. Winner, the winner of Game Five moves on, and uh, winner of Game Five moves on and gets to play at the minimum. Uh, the next, you know, at the minimum, their season lives on to uh, see another four games at the minimum. They also get an opportunity to play uh, to play another home game. You know, Dodgers win. They have the, you know, they have a at least two more games to play in Dodger Stadium. Giants win. In, they hop on a plane and fly eastward to Atlanta to play the Braves. It was an absolutely phenomenal series and a phenomenal game. I, if, if you love baseball um, and if you love uh, if you love the playoff type atmosphere in team sports, whether it be hockey, basketball, football, baseball, whatever it is, if you love playoff sports and if you love baseball, you could. I mean, you'd have you could not. This series gave you everything that you wanted. Um, with the Dodgers winning Game Five last night by the final score of two to one, an absolute all-time classic pitcher's duel, which you, which heading into the game on Thursday night, you would expect it uh, to be. Now I got a couple of issues here, and we all know that the obvious is the fact that you know the the first base umpire Gabe Morales screw, screwed up the call. Okay, you cannot under any circumstances. You cannot under any circumstances with two strikes up against Wilmer Flores with the tying run at first base, the winning run that is Flores at the plate, and an all-time classic baseball game closing out an all-time classic playoff baseball series between two division rivals that have gone at it as hard as they can over what over 20 times this season regular season and this five game postseason series included heading including a, a postseason wins they both won out they were dead even heading into Thursday night with 109 wins between the two of them you do the math that's what that's two I believe my math off the top of my head is correct that's 218. 218 regular season plus postseason wins between the two teams 
one-run game, 2-1 Dodgers, the defending World Series champions, Giants won their division, clinched best record in the sport and best record in the National League. You cannot, under any circumstances, in a, in a pivotal winner-go-home game five, Game 7 in essence, but Game 5 of an NLDS between these two bitter division rivals that go back over 100 years between two cities, or excuse me, uh, three cities, New York New York City, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. You can't, if you're Gabe Morales, decide the game on a dubious, horrendous, egregious check swing call on Wilmer Flores. You can't do it. The game, these two teams were too evenly matched. These two te- the, the, the margin of error between these two teams was so slim, it was ridiculous. Again, the division, they won over 100 games, and the division between these two teams came down to the last day of the regular season. You, you, you can't have that. You can't have that. You can't. You look at the replay a th- you look at the replay a thousand times, whether it be from the regular broadcast angle or from the side angle from the first base dugout. Wilmer Flores did not swing. He didn't. He checked the swing. That should have been a ball, and the at bat should have continued. You you can't do that. The Giants have their winning run at the plate, tying run on first base. There's two outs. Two strikes. Their seasons are literally hanging in the balance. Hanging in the balance. Giant Dodgers get one more strike, one more out. Their season lives on to see another four more games, and they hop on a plane and they and they fly to and they fly to uh, and they fly to um, uh, Atlanta to play to, to play the ALCS. Wilmar Flores hits a, hits a ball into McCovey's into McCovey Cove. They host the Braves in Game One on Saturday night. You can't have that. This see, too much was on the line, and these two and these two teams were too close, and the tension was was too high in this game, and in this series for that idiot. That clueless, worthless, pathetic first base umpire Gabe Morales to to sit up here and, and, and take the game into his own hands and sit up here and say, "Yo, you know what? Every every the the the, the you know the seven million people watching on television and the forty plus thousand are sitting up here in this stadium. They came in in a in a pivotal winner go home elimination playoff game to close out a playoff series. They came here to watch me umpire. So on the, Wilmer Flores with a check swing with two outs, he's the winning run up." At the plate, the two teams, their season is hanging by, they're hanging on by a thread. These two teams with, with the, with the, their future of their season is, is hanging by a thread. I'm going to take the game into my own hands and I'm going to say that's good. That's a full swing and, and, and strike three. See you Giants, April of 2022, Dodgers move on. You can't have that. You cannot have that under any circumstances. And it's the same. And then no matter what the sport is, it always seems like that there's a referee or an umpire that's willing to stick his big fat nose into the middle of the game and stick his beak in it and feels the need that everybody watching on TV and watching in the stadium came to see me do my job. Get out of the way and let the game decide for itself. 
Keep yourself out of the game. How many times do I have to keep on going through this? Keep yourself out of the game. The way these two teams scratched and clawed from April to October, over 20 games, both had 109 wins. Dodgers up by a single run in a game five. An absolute classic baseball series. One of the greatest postseason series that you are ever, ever going to see. And this umpire, Gabe Morales, thinks that little of it, he's going to stick his beak into the game. And tarnish an all-time classic baseball game. And tarnish an all-time base uh, classic postseason baseball series. That's a joke. Keep yourself out of the game. People came to watch the players play, not to watch you officiate an umpire. It's laughable that the Giants' season ended that way. Won the division last game of the season. 109 wins. Best record in the sport. An absolutely magical, phenomenal season. Game 5 winner go home against their hated division rival who go back over 100 years back when the two teams played on the separate side of the country and their season ends because, because an umpire screws up. Badly. That wasn't a swing. He checked it. Can you imagine that? I, t I tweeted out late Thursday night in the wee hours of Friday morning. If my Orioles had a phenomenal season and won over 100 games, and they were playing a best of five or best of seven, game five if it's the ALDS or game seven if it's the ALCS against, you know, the Yankees or the Red Sox, and their season, their, their 110 win season, came down to the hands of an umpire on a check swing call, I'd be on the 11 o'clock news, I'd be so irate. I'd be incensed if my team lost that way. And any other baseball fan that wasn't a Giant fan last night feels the exact same way I feel. If your team if you're a Yankee fan, if you're an Orioles fan, if you're a, if you're a, a Pittsburgh Pirate fan, if you if you have a favorite baseball team, and your team was in that same situation that the Giants were last night, you would be so incensed with anger you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. You can't end a see a team season that way. That's garbage. These two teams have scratched and clawed, and, and, and every single, nearly every single one of these games have been have been decided down to the wire in the later innings. You can't have a team season end that way. Because some umpire wants to stick his big fat beak into the middle of the game. Stay out of it. That's a joke. It's laughable that a giant season ended that way. As one is Manfred going to sit there and have the balls to fix his umpiring crews? How about the umpires have a little bit of accountability once in a while? Raise hands and say, you know what? I looked at you. Know, I screwed up the call. 
I screwed over the. I raised my hand. Take full responsibility. Take full accountability. Did you hear any of that last night? And where do these umpires get off when they come off so freaking cocky and arrogant that I'm going to stick my beak into the middle of the game and then screw up the call on top of it? And not even having the cojones, the integrity to own up to it and apologize for it. Bag it, Gabe Morales. Bag it, Manfred. You stink. An all-time classic baseball game, and you ruined the ending of it because you screwed up the call. That's not a strike. They didn't swing. Now, I understand that Wilmer Flores was 0-17 against Max Scherzer. I understand that the Giants capitalized in key moments where the, where, where, the, where, where the Dodgers capitalized in the key moments where the Giants could not. I get that. I understand that, all right, well, you know, are the Giants really going to hit another pinch hit home run or, or they hit 182? I, if I fully understand that. I understand the chances of, of, of Wilmer Flores hitting a ball in deep left field a walk-off home run is probably slim to none. But the thing that angers me more is the fact that there have been plenty of opportunities where a hitter either was hitless or their batting average was in the toilet against a certain pitcher. And the right moment and the right opportunity presented itself to, for them to have a little bit of redemption. And you saw the player cap and you saw the hitter capitalize on it and become the hero. For a perfect example, Chris Taylor was in a what? A was white was what? In an eight for seventy something slump prior to the bottom of the ninth inning against the Cardinals last Wednesday. He was on a slump. But the perfect and the right opportunity presented itself, and he's the reason why the Dodgers were playing in that game on Thursday night. One of the reasons why, along with Cody Bellinger, who I'll get to in a little bit. But you never know. And, you, and you're forced to play that what-if game because the umpires stick their beak in the sport. Stay out of it. Don't take the game into your own hands. No less an elimination postseason game. Stay out of it. Let the game be decided by the players and the participants on the field and in the dugout. Why is that such a hard concept for you guys to understand? Now, it's kind of poetic justice because on July the 23rd, the tables were reversed. Darren Ruff is up at the plate. Dodgers up 3-2. Two outs. 3-2 count, bases loaded. Darren Ruff clearly swings. Jansen was on the mound for the Dodgers, if you remember this game. Back on July 23rd of earlier this season, back in the summertime, Darren Ruff clearly swings. Umpires say he didn't. Ruff walks in a run, or Jansen walks in a run. 
Ruff takes first base. Game ties at three. Giants end up winning the game and essentially won the division because it because they because what separated them and the Dodgers was literally one game, and that was the literal one game that ended up deciding the NL West in the long run. Ump screwed up that call. So I get it if it's like, hey, Giant fans. Remember when the ump screwing you up did you guys a favor and essentially won you guys your division? I get that. But still the point is that the umpires are screwing up and deciding moments, games, division championships. Because they are, because they are so painfully incompetent. And again, instead of baseball putting these Asinine cryptocurrency sponsors on the umpires is uniforms. Instead of being preoccupied with putting every sponsorship on, on you know underneath the sun, plastered all over every ballpark and field in the sport. Instead of worrying about putting runners on second base in the top and in the bottom of the tenth innings. Get the basic stuff right first. And that is your umpires stink. Fix that first. If we want to start implementing pitch clocks and runners on second base and, and seven inning double headers and all this gooberish foolishness that Major League Baseball is trying to shove down the fans' throat. Fix your umpires first. Now, and I get it, the, the Dodgers were the better team in this series. Albeit it's a painful way to lose it, Dodgers deserve to win. Giants hit 182 in this series, scored 10 runs, were a feast of famine team. If they didn't hit the ball out of the ballpark, a la Evan Longoria a few nights ago on Tuesday, or... um. Or uh, who hit the home run for them the other night? Or last uh, last night? Uh, Darren Ruff off of Urias to tie the game up at one. I get it. They're a feast of famine team. Hit 182, scored 10 runs. If they could, you know, if, 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 you know, if they couldn't hit, or if they couldn't hit the long ball, they didn't score. I get that. I totally get that. You know, going th going through every single game that they played in this series, they only managed to score more than five runs once, and that was in game one when they and that was in game one or excuse me, game two when they beat when they uh what game was that? That was what? Oh, check that! They, they they didn't even score more than four runs in this series. You go you go back and look. Get, get look it look. Go back and look. Game one they scored four runs. Game two, which they lost, they scored two. Game three they scored one, but they won that game. But thank thanks to the wind, not keeping the ball in in the ballpark on that wind on that windy uh, Monday night at Dodger Stadium, they almost lost that game. They scored two runs on Tuesday. Last night they score one. 
So they barely hit in this series. And the Dodgers deserve the win. Give all the credit in the world to Cody Bellinger, who had who's had a horrendous season, had an excellent at bat to put the to put the tying run on base against the Cardinals in a wild card game with that walk. Had a clutch RBI single. I think Cody Bellinger is going to be the difference maker for the Dodgers postseason run going forward if he stops trying to, you know, try to be the hero and try to hit the ball out of the ballpark every time he steps up to the plate. Just worrying about making contact and finding infield grass, he and the Dodgers will be better off for it, you know, coming up against the NLCS against the Braves. And why Chris Taylor decided to bunt with the infield in when he's done nothing but hit the ball in the air and, and damn near out of the ballpark essentially since the since his walk-off home run against the against the Cardinals last Wednesday. I have no idea. That along with Taylor along with Turner uh botching the ball at third base could have ended up costing the Dodgers if the Giants would have won that game on Thursday night last night. Taylor's asinine decision to bunt and and uh, and and Justin Turner misplaying a ball at third base could have been could have been the difference between the Dodgers going to Atlanta or flying south to Los Angeles and going home. Taylor's done nothing but hit the ball into the air, and he and he's bunting when the Dodgers need insurance runs in the worst way. Dodgers using the opener, which I thought was going to come back to bite them in the ass. You know, they got a 20-game winner, uh, Julio Urias, and they decided to go the opener strategy. Turns out it didn't come back to bite them, although it very well could have. So they escaped that. And then, of course, the Dodgers throw out Hall of Famer Matt Scherzer on the mound, and the Giants throw, and the Giants throw out some pitcher... Uh, you know, throw out some pitcher who was in the minor leagues as recently as August in Dovo, in Dovo who gives up to hit the Bellinger. Camilo Dovo, Dova, whatever, whatever his name is. Who was lucky as hell that the ball didn't get out of the ballpark uh, back in the one nothing game the other night at Dodger Stadium. That was the difference maker. Bellinger's clutchness, clutchness, Dodgers, or excuse me, Bellinger's clutchness, the Giants couldn't hit, and in the later innings of a do-or-die elimination playoff game, albeit his starting pitcher, Dodgers threw out Hall of Famer Max Scherzer, Giants threw out there a rookie who was in the minor leagues as recently as two months ago. That was a difference maker in the series. But the fact that this tremendous series and this tremendous baseball game came down to that dope umpire calling that a swing on Wilmer Flores when it was clear as hell that it wasn't is an absolute disgrace. That phenomenal, fantastic playoff series should have, not, and that phenomenal, fantastic baseball game should not have been decided by the umpires. It shouldn't. And if Manfred had any cojones, he'd fit. He'd fix. He'd fix this. He he'd fix this. He'd fix it. He'd fix his umpires. He would make the check swing reviewable. Hell, you got everything else in the underneath the sun reviewable. Why not this? 
Dodgers deserve the win. But that is a crappy way to have your season end and a crappy way for an all-time classic series and classic baseball game. Playoffs, no less, to end. That, that, that was bullcrap. That was bullcrap. Congratulations to the Dodgers. Preview the ALCS and the NLCS. Just getting started. Busy program today. Got the NLCS, Bucks, Eagles, Week 6 NFL, and of course my picks against the spread. Fun episode of the I'm a TIS podcast on this October weekend, the year of our Lord 2021, back after these messages. Welcome back to the I'm Telling TIS podcast. Switching gears now. Well, not switching gears, as a matter of fact, but look, flipping the page and looking forward to the American League and the National League Championship Series that will begin later on this weekend. Uh, you got Game 1 of the Red Sox and the Astros that begin on Friday night, and then, of course, Game 1 of the NLCS between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the uh, Atlanta Braves taking place. That would get, game won't be on Saturday night. Uh, just talk about the Red Sox and the Astros for a minute and then give you my prediction and get to the NLCS, give you my prediction and uh, turn the page on the baseball and get to the football. Um, with the, with the, first of all, the Red Sox have had an absolutely phenomenal season. Uh, if you would have told me in early April, or for that matter, late September, that the Red Sox would somehow, some way, be one of the uh, would be one of two teams left in the American League still dancing and one of four teams in all of baseball still dancing with the chance and the opportunity to win the uh, American League uh, championship for this season 2021 and and are four wins away from making it to the wor- from advancing to the World Series I would have had your drug test and I would have called you crazy but you know this team has guts. This team has great Kike Hernandez. You know Kike Hernandez is one of the has been an absolute godsend for them this season. Um, you know Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers is hitting the cover off the ball. You know their bullpen has has mattered to them when they needed the most. And you just get to see how Alex Cora knows how to manage and knows how to balance, you know, when to use the analytics, when to go off for feel and the eyeball test. He's the perfect hybrid and the perfect manager. He gets his players, his players get him. He's a you know, he's the he's the perfect guy to lead that locker room for the, for that uh for that 25 man roster. Um they respect him. They play hard for him. They don't quit on him. They don't quit on him and in return the core doesn't quit on his players. 
Um, they've you know they've had an absolutely phenomenal season. They hit well off of that Tampa pitching thanks to Kevin Cash wearing out his starting staff. Um, they got the clutch hits when they needed it the most. Uh, whether it be you know whether it be off of sale in the earlier innings in the AL wildcard game against the Yankees, whether it be uh, you know whether it be rebounding after that five run bomb of the first inning that uh, that Tampa had in game well not game uh, game two that Friday uh, last Friday night, whether it's uh, you know whether it's the big time. Uh, clutch hits that they got in Fenway, whether it be Vasquez's uh, walk-off home runner on Sunday night, Kike Hernandez's sack fly, timely hitting, of course, was a factor in those two games in Fenway Park. Um, the timely hitting and the sacrifice fly from Kike Hernandez, which advanced him to the championship series, it's just that everything has just been coming up Red Sox the last, you know, week and a half or so, and we'll see if it continues as they're going up against a buzzsaw in the Houston Astros that essentially, had, you know, and the Red Sox did too, but the Astros essentially had one bad night of the office, that was Sunday night, but for the most part, they absolutely punched uh, the uh, White Sox in a proverbial mouth in their series. No Lance McCullers in this ALCS, which uh, which is a little, which is a benefit from a Red Sox perspective. But you know, if they've been a- any single time we talk crap about the Astros and give them a little, uh, give them bulletin board material, give them a little bit of extra motivation, they always seem, they always for what they always somehow some way make it, you know, make you uh, make you look like a horse's ass for doing so. This team has grit. They're gu- they're gritty. They're gutty. They're tough, mentally and physically tough. They clutch, timely hitting. They pitch well. Their bullpen is solid. They have a hell of a manager in Dusty Baker, who, like the Red Sox do with Cora, they play hard for him. They don't quit on him. He gives them that little that 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 little kick in the pants, a little extra oomph, a little extra jolt that that you know that that team needs to uh, you know whenever they kind of get a little sloppy or get a little bit of complacent. You know they got that all-time manager Dusty Baker, who's been around baseball a long, 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 long time. Not just as a play, not just as a, a manager, but as a player as well. Been around baseball for over forty years. He's fantastic. He's the he's the Andy Reid of Major League Baseball is what it comes down to. And uh, they Correa Altuve, who's one who's one of the grittiest, toughest uh, SOBs I've ever seen on a baseball field. As much as I can't stand him, I get I got to give him credit where credit is due. Correa, you know, as much as I can't stand him, he has no issues and no problems with invi- with embracing that villain role, which I which I've kind to learn to respect about him to a certain degree because he has no problem and no issues with embracing and being the bad guy, and he relishes in it, and he relishes in it, and it, and it ends up translating into his. Uh, phenomenal play at the plate. His phenomenal play in the field. One of the best shortstops in the league, bar none. And I think this is a series. I don't think it's going to go seven, but I think it's going to go six. And I think that the Houston Astros are going to once again win the American League pennant and get back to the World Series. This is the Astros' fifth straight ALCS appearance. Last time they missed on the ALCS was in 2016. That was Blue Jays and Indians that year. Uh, 2017, 2017, they made it. They played the Yankees. 2018, they made it. And they played, um, who are they playing? As a matter of fact, this is, this is in fact the rematch of the 2018 ALCS, as a matter of fact. It just, it just occurred to me right now as I was talking to you, but rematch of the 2018 ALCS. Played the Yankees in 17, Red Sox in 18, uh, in 19. Who did they play in 19? I should know that off the top of my head. 
but it's uh, I won the Red Sox. I don't think. Where they play? Oh, 19 and play the Yankees again. How can I forget the Altuve walk-off home run off of Chapman? So the Yankees are 17, Red Sox in 18, Yankees again in 19. 2020 they played Tampa, and in 2020 uh, and in 2021 here they're back playing the Red Sox again. So it's been their fifth straight appearance in the ALCS. Ironically enough, uh, twice within the last three years, three four years or so against the uh, no three years against uh, Boston. And every single opponent that they've played in the ALCS has been a representative of the ALEs, whether it be the Yankees in 17 and 19, the Red Sox in 18 and 21, or uh, the Tampa Bay Rays as recently as last year in 2020. But I think the Astros win this series um, in six games. And as a matter of fact, I, I thought about it when I got up on Friday morning, uh, just to kind of, in retrospect, go back and look at my... Um, Go back and look at my predictions. I had the Astros right. I had the prior to the postseason started. I had the uh, I had the uh, Astros prior to the postseason started. I had the Astros in the ALCS, and prior to the season started back in late March, I had the Astros in the ALCS. And ironically enough, your boy did hit the jackpot with his NLCS prediction prior to the season started. It's, I mean, I predicted it prior to the postseason started, but you get extra credit. Um, if you, you know, in whatever credit there might be, who knows, but, you know, I get a little bit, I pat myself on the back a little bit more because of the fact that I predicted this NLCS back before the season started in late March between the LA Dodgers and the, uh, Atlanta Braves, a rematch of last year's National League Championship Series. Of course, we all know what happened in last year's NLCS, um, because of the fact that the Bra- you know, that the Braves had a three-one lead and choked it away as as what great uh, Atlanta sp- Atlanta slash Georgia sports teams do, a la uh, Georgia football and the uh, Atlanta Braves for a perfect example, uh, or Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Falcons for a perfect example. But Braves had a phenomenal series where essentially, and I understand, and I said this a ton prior to the postseason starting at you know. Good pitching stops good hitting any day of the week, especially in postseason baseball. But you know, you, you know, you can't you can't win games just because you pitch the best. You also got to have timely hitting and have your best players uh, get the key hits and the key RBIs and and score the vital runs late in ball games and tight games uh, when you need them. And that is exactly uh, what ha- was the difference maker of why the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, albeit their fantastic starting pitching, is sitting at home and the Brewers, are, or excuse me, the Braves are hosting the Dodgers down in Cobb County at uh, Truist Park come game one on uh, Saturday night. Um, so they throw it. They throw out Max Freed. That at this time of this recording, the game one starter for the Dodgers yet to be announced. Of course, the Dodgers, you know, gritty. You know, they they're six and zero in elimination games in the last two postseason appearances. You know, something that the Dodgers really didn't have much of. And you know, in seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen, you know, they did not have, they did not know how to close out games when their backs were against the wall. They would often you know uh, collapse like a cheap like a cheap tent and and and. And, and implode and fall apart. You haven't seen that recently from them since 2000, you know, since their 2020 playoff run. 
one. They know, you know, when their backs are against the wall, they know how to fight off, you know, the uh, the threat of elimination. They know how to keep their season alive. They know how to scratch and claw and fight tooth and nail to win uh, tough baseball games when their season is hang was is uh, hanging when they're hanging on to their season by a thread. Their championship hopes are hanging by a thread. They know how to win those games now, and I think that that does the Dodgers a tremendous tremendous benefit because they know how to when you know when their backs are against the wall they know how to get off the schneid whether it's Mookie Betts you know who had a phenomenal night at the plate in game five against the Giants whether it's Cody Bellinger with his with his phenomenal great at bats recently within the last week or so they know how to get off the deck and they know how to pick themselves up and brush themselves off and and force their way into baseball games and force their way to win games that they have no business winning um, so I think that NLCS series between the Dodgers and the Braves is going into, in my eyes, go the full five games and have the Dodgers winning it, which means you will get a rematch of the 2017 World Series between the Astros and the Dodgers. And I, and I, in my eyes, would love nothing more than a Dodger-Astro World Series. That would be absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal for the sport. If they get Braves and Red Sox, they're dead. Now watch us get Braves and Red Sox. Take a break. Get to the National Football League. The Bucks beat the Eagles on Thursday Night Football. I haven't forgotten about that as we switched uh, our attention to Week 6 of the National Football League coming up right after this. Welcome back to the Amitav is podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, on the platforms of the Anchor app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to this fantastic sports talk podcasting program. Switch our attention to now to the National Football League, as there indeed was a Thursday night uh, there, there indeed was a Thursday night game last night between the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Philadelphia Eagles. Zach Ertz, by the way, breaking news that occurred on Friday uh, last night was indeed his last ever game, home game as Philadelphia Eagle and last ever game as an Eagle in general as the Eagles ended up trading uh, Zach Ertz to the Cardinals for Tay Gowan and a 2022 uh, fifth round pick. So Zach Ertz, uh, the rich, no, not the rich get richer, but the NL West just gets tougher and tougher. I texted it to my brother on Friday morning, and his immediate response, his immediate response, two minutes later, well, not immediate, but his response two minutes later, I texted him that the trade went through, that the Cardinals got uh, Pro Bowler Zach Ertz, as if Kyler Murray and undefeated Cardinals needed any more help. He he later responded, "I hate this division." <laughs> so Ian Seahawks, which 
is going to be without Russell Wilson for a month is going to have to deal with Kyler Murray, A.J. Green, DeAndre Hopkins, and Zach Ertz on the offensive side of the football. And, oh, by the way, the Seahawks have yet to play the Arizona Cardinals yet. And that and that's just on offense. I'm not even talking about defense with Isaiah Simmons, Buda Baker, JJ White. I'm not even getting to that. And already the uh the Cardinals have Ian essentially dreading the next month of play with uh Geno Smith and no uh Russell Wilson um with that god awful defense that uh you know, for whatever the reason uh, the Bengals felt the need to pick up uh, the garbage Trey Flowers when the Seahawks had cut him after their Thursday night game last week. The bet my Bengals, for whatever the reason, felt out. Oh, what the hell? Let's go out there and sign Trey Flowers. You know, if he was garbage for Seattle, going up the competition they're going up against with the AFC North is just as competitive, maybe a little less than the NFC West is as far as best division of football is concerned. And what do they do? They pick up Trey Flowers off the off the street. So uh, you know, if if uh, who do we play? And I'm giving, let me give you an example. Um, you know, because the you know, hopefully they'll beat Detroit. I, this is a typical game where I can see the Bengals essentially, you know, keeping the uh, keeping the Lions in the game, but they win it, you know, pretty handily, which I don't like. You know, would it kill this team to have a forty-two nothing blowout every once in a while? Um, I give give an example, okay? If uh, if Hollywood Brown has ten receptions for one hundred and thirty-two yards. Uh, you know, and Trey Flowers is covering him and he gets burned and you look at the stat sheet or if you have uh, Hollywood Brown in your fantasy team and he, you know, gives you a 40-point fantasy points day come uh, week 7 of October the 24th, you can thank Trey Flowers and uh, Duke Tobin for, you know, when, uh, when uh, you know, when Marquise Brown goes nuts and looks like the second coming of uh, Anquan Bowden in 2012, you know who to thank. It's uh, Trey Flowers. So uh, just to get down the board. But anyway, as that's neither here nor there. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers took care of business against the Eagles on Thursday night by the final score of 28-22. Brady 9-1 on Thursday night football since 2012. The Bucks improved to 5-1 on the season. Eagles fall to 2-4. and four. Got interesting. Oh, Excuse me, a little bit there at the end, but uh, you know, I but you know, you knew the Bucks were going to win. It was a it was a chance that uh, Tampa could have blow could have blown that game, but the you know that god awful. And let me just say, you know, it's, it's whether it whether it's the check swing in the game five or these asinine taunting penalties in the NFL. You know, what what what, what do we do? Can we back and get rid of this stupid taunting penalty, please? It's ruining the game. It's tarnishing the game. It's making a mockery of the game. Get rid of it. I mean, the Bucks would have won the game anyway because, you know, the Eagles' defense stinks, and Brady was covering them up all night, 34-42, 297 passing yards, and two touchdowns. But my goodness, get rid of the stupid taunting penalty plays. It's annoying, it's obnoxious, it's unnecessary. Nobody likes it. The players hate it. The fans hate it. That's all that matters. If the players and the fans hate it, get rid of the damn rule. Anyway. But the taunting, eh, just enough with the taunting penalties, please. But the Bucks took care of business. Brady had a wonderful night. Leonard Fournette had a decent night running the football. 22 carries, 81 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. Uh, on the night as well. Antonio Brown, nine receptions, 93 yards, got a touchdown pass as well. Uh, the Eagles, I mean, I don't know what the hell is going on with the Philadelphia Eagles. 
you know, Nick Sirianni, who I you know, who did not impress me with his introductory press conference back in January, who I thought was a terrible hire for Philadelphia, who was totally who's in over his head, unqualified for the job, you know, just, screw, just screwing over the Eagles left and right. And Jan Jalen Hurts is not the answer, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I understand he ran for two touchdowns on the night and threw for it. He's not the answer. You know, uh, excellent college player, but he's not going to work out in the NFL. If he lost his job to Tua Tagovailoa and had to transfer, and 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 the Dolphins are like you know waiting waiting with bated breath what the NFL is going to do with Deshaun Watson, and they you know and they wanted no parts of Tua. You know, is is does, does Jalen Hurts you know give you that much hope? You know, I got Nick Sirianni running Big 12 spread offenses, you know, rarely calling plays, you know, from behind, rarely calling plays from uh, from under center. I, You know, they ran the ball a total of 19 times in the game. Miles Sanders only had one carry in the entire game. I believe he only had one touch in the entire first half alone. Uh, you know, with these asinine RPOs, it's just like... The next area has no idea what the hell he's doing, and he's leading the Eagles along with Howie Roseman into you know into an epiphany of absolute and utter disaster. And it's kind of ironic, you know, what team has nosedived and has imploded as quickly as you know after a Super Bowl championship than the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, you can make the argument that winning the Super Bowl was the worst thing that happened to him because because outside of a Decent, magical, somewhat 2018 season when they won the playoff game and and uh, you know and went nine and seven, ran the table, made the playoffs, and came within a uh, came within a uh, Alshon Jeffrey catch. If he would have caught that ball, that went right through his hands against the Saints, could have made it the back to back NFC champion, you know NFC championship games. But I mean. Uh, I mean, what they, they're going? No, they're going backwards. And you know, I understand that that you know, Super Bowl teams, you know, at some point, form of fashion, they they fall off. You know, they're not as dominant as they were in a championship season, unless you got unless you have Brady and Belichick on your team, or you know, you have the Kansas City Chiefs. But you know, I, I mean, I, I don't get it. You know, I. I understand that you may not win the Super Bowl every year and go to the Super Bowl every year, but they gotta be they gotta be better than this. They screwed up with Wentz, Peterson. You know, four years removed from winning a Super Bowl, he's out the door. You know, four four years after the Steelers won the Super Bowl, Mike Thomas still the head coach. Four years after the Saints won the Super Bowl, Sean Payton was still there. Four years after McCarthy won the Super Bowl with uh, with Green Bay, he was still there. Four years after the Ravens won. Uh, the Super Bowl, uh, Harbaugh was still there. Four years after the Giants won the Super Bowl, Coughlin was there. Four years after the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, uh, Carroll is there. Four years after the Patriots have won the Super Bowls that they've won in the last, uh, you know, since 2014, obviously Bill Belichick is still the man in charge. You know, I mean, so it's what I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, and the Eagles franchise hurts is not the answer. You know, he's got open receivers and he can't hit them, which is a major problem. They run too much of that spread RPO college offense goobers nonsense. You know, they they go nowhere fast with that stuff. Sirianni is in over his head, has no idea what the hell he's doing, barely running the football. Miles Sanders is essentially a Christmas ornament when he's lining up when he's on the field because he, cause he serves absolutely no purpose because Jalen Hurst is throwing the ball all the time and they're running that damn RPO. 
it's just it's a problem for the Eagles. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the Buccaneers, you know, their winning ways improve. It seems like that, you know, that their issues from the uh, Ram game are the thing of the past. They're five and one, one of the best teams in the NFC, and they just and they just keep on keeping on. And the Bucks, you know, have a uh, game should have never have uh, been as game should never have been you know as close as it was that game should have been you know 30 that game should have been 35 14 35 7 but a win is a win you know they don't give you extra wins for style points the you know the eagles have the raiders in vegas uh, on the 24th on sunday while the uh while the bucks head home and play the bears being in you know in week seven so both teams have a cut have a, a week and some change to uh to reassess some things and they'll get back at it for week seven coming up next week. Take a break, get the week six of National Football League coming up right after this. Welcome back to the I'm Till It Like a T.I.S. podcast. Switching gears down to week six of the National Football League as we wrap up this weekend program. And before I get to week six and preview the, the marquee games, week six of the NFL, and um, and uh, give you my picks against the spread, um, let me just say something of the news that broke on uh, Thursday. For... The Washington football team, formerly known as the Washington Redskins, for them to suddenly announce that they're going to retire one of their greatest players, if not the greatest player that's ever played for them in the 21st century in the late Sean Taylor. For them to announce on Thursday, one, two, three, four days, four days before their week six home game against Kansas City 
for them to announce that they are going to retire his number four days before their game against the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday is disgusting. It's egregious. It's despicable. It's nauseating. It's ill-mannered, ill-advised, ill-timed, and a horrendously piss-poor PR stunt. For them to announce the jersey retirement of one of their most beloved players of all time, who died tragically during his career in the middle of a season, for them to announce the retirement of his of of of, of his jersey is an absolute disgrace. And they're doing it to divert from the pathetic, the disgusting, the treacherous, the inhumane, the dysfunctional dumpster fire and the scandals that this franchise has brought up upon itself over the last couple of years as recently as this past week with John Gruden getting canned or excuse me resigning from being the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders because of the emails that he sent the team president at the time Bruce Allen who's a disgusting despicable bastard of a human being for them to pull this crap on every Washington fan for Sean Taylor's family that's his kid he had a he had an infant daughter when he died to his to to his baby mama and girlfriend at the time to his family to his ex teammates to his former coaches for them to pull this crap is so disgusting it's it, 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 it would make you want to literally vomit. Pulling this crap as a diversion to this disgusting, awful franchise that has remained in hot water for the better part of the last three years or so. Especially with the emergence of the John Gruden emails. And the calls for Dan Snyder to be removed as the owner of the NFL Washington franchise. That's disgusting. You're going to announce the retirement of one of your most beloved players in the last 25 years who had a shocking and heartbreaking ending. To not just his NFL career, but his life. And you're going to announce that as a diversion to distract, to divert people's attention off of the absolute, excuse my language, shit show of a franchise that you have become. That is an absolute disgrace. 
and to diverge people's attention from the horrendous human being and owner that Dan Snyder is. That is an absolute joke. That is a joke. And whoever was the idiot, whether it's Jason Wright or the Snyders, that had the chutzpah to come up with such an asinine idea needs to be thrown into the Potomac River. And have their brain donated to science when they die. Because that is a disgrace. Let me tell y'all something. I swear to good Lord, if the NFL does not wake the hell up, and if Roger Goodell doesn't man the hell up and put whatever bull crap that whatever dirt, whatever gossip, whatever nonsensical bullcrap that the owners have on Goodell or Goodell may have the owners, whatever the hell it is, they better bury that crap or just be a man enough or be man enough enough to admit their faults and, 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 and get rid of this piece of filth that is Dan Snyder that is the owner of the Washington football team. And they better get rid of this ass quick, fast, and in a hurry. And I am not joking when I'm saying this. They better kick his ass out quick. I am done listening and reading the garbage and the nonsense that went on with Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder. The toxic work environment, the way they treated women, the way they treated and pimped out their cheerleaders, the way how they screwed over and didn't want to pay Trent Williams when he had a freaking cancer tumor on his head and they didn't want to pay for it because of their, because Dan Snyder is a piece of filth human being to the just 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 to everything the sewer coming out of the, the you know the, the sewer coming out of the uh, pipes at FedEx Field essentially defecating and urinating all over the fans a personification of what Dan Snyder has done to them ever since he's been the owner of this god awful football team demanding money to build a new stadium I mean the nerve and the chutzpah of this piece of filth human being and I'm serious as coronavirus on this if I was a Washington fan I hate him enough but if he was the owner of my favorite football team I don't know what I would do if I saw Dan Snyder I don't, I don't know what I'd do if, I don't know whether I'd spit on him first or piss on him first I quite frankly don't know what the hell I would do if I especially if I was a fan of the Washington Redskins slash football team and I saw this piece of garbage in my sight. He is a disgusting human being. He is an even worse football owner. I mean, just what the hell what the hell is wrong with this man? And what the hell is with the NFL and Roger Goodell covering the sorry ass wipes behind and protecting this man 
this piece of filth? What is with Goodell and these NFL owners that have done nothing but covered his ass throughout this entire process? What the hell does Snyder have on them? Or what the hell is going on that's preventing the truth to be revealed and and, 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 pro, and preventing this piece of garbage human being to be kicked out of owner as of the Washington football team because they can have it they can have a black team president they can have the director of media they can have they can appoint a woman as their as their uh, top media PR exec they they can bring in they can bring in a cancer survivor and a Hispanic and a Hispanic guy to be their head coach of their football team. They can do it. They can bring in Alec. They can have Alex Smith with the feel good store with breaking the leg. They can pull all the heartstrings of the Mer- of America until the cows come home. They can kiss my you know what on that. Cause the, all I see is PR stunts and lip service. Until you get rid of the real cancer that lies within this organization that is Daniel Snyder and kick him the hell out of office and out of power of the owner of this football team don't expect things to change no matter what crap they pull no matter who's in charge of what who what what demographic they appeal to of uh, affirmative action and all this other nonsense because the real toxic problem. They got rid of Bruce Allen. Thank God about damn time. But it's time for Dan Snyder to be gone as well. And for any NFL owner and for Goodell to continuing to cover for this asshole. Excuse my language once again. Ought to be ashamed of themselves. And it's just as guilty. And it's just as much to blame for Dan Snyder's pulling this crap as Dan Snyder is himself. And that is the bottom line. The fact that they would that they used essentially a dead man, let's just call it used a dead man, and essentially used them in vain to divert the attention and the conversation of the toxic work environment of this football team is an absolute disgrace. It's a, it's a literally the equivalent of Dan Snyder and the members of that organization going to going to Sean Taylor's arresting place, whipping out their wee-woo taking it out and pissing all over Sean Taylor's grave because that's what you're doing. Short term notice. Yeah. You don't think you don't think all those Washington fans would, would wouldn't like to be in attendance to to, to experience that. His ex teammates, his girlfriend at the time, his child. You don't think they would you you don't think they would have liked to experience that? His old friends from his days at the U and with Washington back in the day, 15 plus years ago. You don't think they would have liked to experience that? Shame on all of you. Anyway, sorry about that. Anyway, let's continue. Week six of the National Football League. Uh, you know, got a couple, you know, got a, a few. Good matchups. I don't, you know, the uh, the Cowboys and the Patriots game. I don't think is uh, is phenomenal. Seahawks and Steelers with no Russell Wilson. You know, the cachet ain't there. Um, really, the three best matchups of Week Three uh, buckled down to Chargers and Ravens, Cardinals and Browns, and Bills and Titans. 
Um, let's do Chargers and Ravens first. Chargers, of course, coming off of their uh, thrilling victory against the Ravens division rival Cleveland in Los Angeles last week. One of the, they're currently sitting in first place in the uh, AFC West with the record of four and one. Ravens four and one as well. Uh, the Ravens are currently riding a four-game winning streak. Have not lost a game since they played the Chargers division rival uh, Vegas in Vegas Week One Monday night of the season. Um, they get Rashad Bateman uh, making his NFL debut. Uh, he's off IR as, as Sammy Watkins is out for this game against San Diego. Uh, as Bateman will make his first uh, ever career NFL start and make his NFL debut. Herbert and company is having an absolutely phenomenal season. Uh, you know, I, I think this game is going to be another shootout. You know, first one to you know to, to reach the high 40s is going to win this game. The Ravens' offense, especially in the second half, could do no wrong. They were cutting up uh, a uh, a uh, Indianapolis Colt defense that completely imploded. Uh, that completely imploded against them last week. Uh, and especially in the second half, Lamar Jackson making plays all over the field in his arm. I broke it down off for you back on Wednesday. And, of course, the Chargers with Herbert, who's an MVP candidate, who's had himself one hell of a season. That is uh, important game number one. Important game number two uh, in week six is uh, the four is the uh, four or five game between the Cleveland Browns and the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals, the only undefeated team remaining in football at 5-0. and Cleveland Browns at 3-2. and Browns coming off of, again, that, that aforementioned loss in a shootout to the Chargers last week while the Cardinals uh, head east to play the Browns up in Lake up by Lake Erie as they are coming off of their impressive gutty defensive uh, defensive battle and victory against the uh, San Francisco 49ers last week, improving a five and zero on the season, two and zero within the uh, within the uh, NFC West. Uh, you know, Kyler Murray, who's having who's one of the best, uh, who's having one of the best seasons in the league thus far. He can make you know, Murray, Murray, Herbert, Allen. Uh, uh, Brady and uh, Lamar Jackson are all having uh, MVP caliber seasons to this point. You can really, if you wanted to split hairs and really wanted to quibble and argue about it, you know, you could do what you wish as far as a ranking. As far as ranking, you know, who's the best quarterback in the league right now and who deserves them. You know, it's it's up it's up for debate between between Allen 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 Herbert and um and Allen Herbert and uh, Murray are your three front runners right now and and you can throw in Brady and uh and Lamar Jackson into the conversation, you know, top 5 best QBs at all and realistically speaking could be, you know, your one or two whichever way you slice it. As the Cardinals and the uh, as the Cardinals and the Browns are game number two to keep an eye on on Sunday, and then game number three is the Monday night game. It's a good one. The four and one Buffalo Bills going up against the three and two Tennessee Titans. Derrick Henry, who is just a force to be reckoned with, who's an absolute menace running the football as they took care of business and got back on the winning train, taking care of the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars last week. They improved the three and two on the season on against the Buffalo Bills, who could do no wrong. They as well are riding a four game winning streak, have not uh, turned back since, uh, or not looked back, excuse me, since their week one. 
since the week one defeat against the uh, week one upset against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Josh Allen and company had an absolutely phenomenal game. Defense was flying around all over the place, making plays. Uh, four takeaways in the game, two of which are Mahomes and two of which were Mahomes interceptions. One of them being a pick six. Josh Allen had a phenomenal day at the office. One of the MVP front runners I previously mentioned. You get Buffalo and Tennessee in a good Monday night football game coming up. Uh, on Monday in a few days uh, as that is game number three to keep an eye on as far as week six of the National Football League is concerned. You know, the games this weekend, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, are not that fantastic. Uh, Bengals versus Detroit. I mean, I'm a Bengals fan, so of course I'm going to watch, but if you're a neutral fan or if you're not a fan of those two teams, why would you bother watching? Um, you know, Jacksonville, Miami, not you're gonna wake up at nine thirty on Sunday morning in London to go watch to go watch those uh, two uh, AFC uh, Florida teams duke it out when the, when the combined record between the two of them is one and nine. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, you know, I understand that the whole historical piece with the rivalry between Chicago and the Bears. I understand that the Bears are three and two, and Justin Fields is starting, so it gives the Bears a little bit of momentum. It gives them and provides them a little bit, a little bit of energy. But this game has, you know, thirty has the, uh, you know, has uh, thirty-eight twenty-one written all over it for the Bears, or excuse me, for the uh, Green Bay Packers. Houston, Indianapolis, both teams are one and four. That's not a great game. Giants and Rams, no, thank you. Uh, Kansas City and Washington, although both two and three, and you know Washington has a slimmer, and I do mean a slim slither of hope that they could win the NFC East. If that, if you can even say that at this point in time, I'm um, going up against, uh, and we'll see if this is the game where if their defense gets back on track with Kansas City, who's turned over the football a bunch recently. Um, you know, who has to get back on the winning ways and fast. It's mid-October and they're below 500 at 2-3. and three. Could easily be 1-5. and five, Or excuse me, yeah, no. 1-4. and four. Minnesota, Carolina, uh-uh. Uh, you know, uh, and then of course the 425 games, the Vegas-Denver game is interesting only because to see if, uh, you know, if the 3-0 start for Denver is a fluke. No better time for them to improve the 4-2 and two on the season and kind of get their season back on track. Going up against the Raiders, who have had an emotional, crazy, ridiculous, distracting week, of course, with the resignation of John Gruden on Monday. That's the, that's the only reason of interest for that game. Dallas and New England, I expect Dallas to mop the floor with the Patriots on Sunday, even though they're only a three-point favorite. And the Pittsburgh uh, and the Pittsburgh uh, Seattle game, I don't think is going to be all that great because see, because although the fact that, that the uh, Steelers' offense managed to generate some points last week, they scored more than 17 points for once in their pathetic lives last week against Denver. But they're going up against a Seattle Seahawks team that stinks. No Russell Wilson, Geno Smith instead. That game is really not all that uh, intuitive uh, as well. Richard Sherman's going to miss some time with the hamstring injury as the Bucks secondary gets paper thinner and thinner as the days and weeks go by. Nick Chubb won't play in the game against the Cardinals. You know about the Zach Ertz trade, and you know about uh, no Sammy Watkins for the Baltimore Ravens. They will get Rashad Bateman, their rookie first-round draft pick wide receiver out of the University of Minnesota going up against... Uh, Going up against Herbert and the boys against the Sandy, excuse me, the Los Angeles Chargers on Sunday afternoon. So that's as far as you stand, as far as, uh, and no word on Sean Watson yet, which is absolutely ridiculous. And 
you know, and you, you know, it's, it's, oh, I mean, why, why isn't he suspended, you know, and on the commissioner, and on the commissioner's list, I have no idea. We still don't know what the hell is going to, is going to happen when it comes to these massage parlors, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. You know what he stands for? It's week six of National Football League. It's that time, week six picks against the spread in the league where they play. Pay. Game number one between the Miami Dolphins and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Dolphins lost last time out in their game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the road. They, uh, you know, it was funny. I saw a quote from Trevor Lawrence earlier this week saying, isn't it ironic that we have to fly across the Atlantic Ocean to play a team that's in the, that, you know, that plays in the same state as we do going up against the Jackson? I thought that was kind of funny from Herbert, or excuse me, from uh, Lawrence. Jaguars last time out lost uh, against the division rival Tennessee Titans. Their game, of course, they wanted their uh, home games in London because they're on it forever. The reasons I'm obsessed with playing there. J the Dolphins are a three-point favorite. I think this is the opportunity where the Jaguars get their first win of the season. Give me the Jaguars to win this game by the final score of 24-21. The Green Bay Packers going up against the Chicago Bears. Bears 3-2 and two on, on the year. Uh, they, won, uh, they won last time out, I believe. I'm fogging with my memory here. Didn't they? I'm pretty sure they won last time. I, I typically know the stuff off the top of my head. Just want to double check. Yeah, they took a business against the Raiders last week, 20-9. They returned home Justin Fields and company going against the Bengals that won an absolute crazy game, 25-22 against my Bengals last week. Green Bay's favored by six. Give me the Green Bay Packers win this game by the final score of 35-21. The Indianapolis Colts, who choked against the Baltimore Ravens on Monday night earlier this week, they returned home to play the uh, Houston Texans. Both teams are 1-4. and four. Indianapolis is favored by 10. Houston lost to the New England Patriots at home last Sunday. Give me the Indianapolis Colts. Excuse me. Yeah, the Indianapolis Colts to win this game by the final score of 28-10. The Los Angeles Rams fly eastward to play the New York Giants. Giants are 1-4. Lost last time out on the road against Dallas. No Saquon Barkley. Looks like Daniel Jones coming off his concussion will be, will be, good, will be good to go. Rams are 4-1. I expect the Rams to win this game pretty handily by the final score of 35-17. Kansas City Chiefs going up against Washington. Washington 2-3. They dropped the last game out or last game or last Sunday at home against famous Jamison and New Orleans Saints. Chiefs lost a absolute deflating game on Sunday night at home against the Buffalo Bills. They fly eastward to Landover, Maryland. Chiefs, this is the game that they have to have. If the Chiefs lose this game, you know, it's fair to say that they could very that they could very likely miss the playoffs if the Chiefs somehow drop this game to a hapless well, I wouldn't say hapless, but to a very underachieving Washington team. Uh, with their defense, which is absolutely imploded, and Mahomes should have a field day if the if the Washington defense looks like how we expected it to look heading into the season on Sunday. Chiefs are in a heap of trouble. Chiefs favored by a touchdown, giving the Chiefs to win this game by the final score of twenty of twenty eight twenty one. Minnesota Vikings are two and three. 
They fly eastward to Carolina, who is 3-2 and two on the year. Uh, Carolina lost the game. They had no business losing to the Eagles last Sunday. And if you're the Carolina, if you're the Carolina Panthers, I understand that you're a team, you know, that's unexpected to make the playoffs. We had a phenomenal start to begin the season. You can't lose to the Philadelphia Eagles 21-18. You just can't have it. Vikings coming off of their game winner, uh, game winning field goal by Greg Joseph, beating the Detroit Lions by a final score of 19 to 17 in their matchup uh, last Sunday. The Panthers, excuse me, the Vikings are favored minus two and a half. Give me the Vikings, or excuse me, give me the Panthers to win this game. I can't. I'm always getting confused with my handwriting. Give me the Vikings to win this game by the. I said it again. Give me the Panthers to win this game by a final score. Maybe the, maybe the Vikings might win since I've said it like three times in a row. Give me the Panthers to win this game by the final score of 21-17. The, the uh, Los Angeles Chargers going up against the Baltimore Ravens. Both teams 4-1. Baltimore favorite minus 2.5. Give me the Baltimore Ravens to win this game in a shootout by the final score of of 42 to 38. Both teams 4-1 the season. Chargers fly eastward to play the Ravens. My sister was going to that game ironically enough. It's funny. She wanted nothing to do with football for years and years and years and years. I finally break her down and get her to become a football fan. It's really the it's her favorite sport, and now all of a sudden she lives and dies by the Ravens. For years she couldn't stay, hated football, absolutely hated it. I finally got through to her, uh, and, and especially in large part thanks to the pandemic where she had nothing to do with TV shows, wasn't on, you know, so she became a uh, big-time football fanatic over the last year and a half or so, and all of a sudden she's going to be, you know, cheering and going crazy, rooting like, uh, rooting her behind off for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens on Sunday when you know three, when you know three, four years ago, you know if I said, "Hey, Zoe, sit down and watch," uh, you know, uh, I give you an example: the uh, Ravens and uh, Raiders. She'd have no interest. Now, all of a sudden, she's the biggest Ravens fan in the world. She'll be at that game on Sunday afternoon. The green head laughed, Zoe. That was funny. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals going up against the uh, Cleveland Browns. Arizona, like I said, the only undefeated team remaining in the sport. They're five and zero. Cleveland Browns three and two. Cleveland favorite minus three and a half points. Give me the Arizona Cardinals to improve the six and zero on the season by the final score of twenty eight to twenty four. The Las Vegas Raiders playing in their first game without John Gruden as head coach. They played their division rival Denver Broncos in Denver. Both teams are three and two on the season. Appears to be nose diving that the uh, Hollywood, not Hollywood, but honeymoon beginning to their season back in September. It looks like the Bloomers coming off of the rose, and it looks like that their season, you know, is in a, is you know in a nose dive, quick, fast, in a hurry. Both teams need to win this game if they, you know, want to salvage any playoff chances that uh, that they may have left. Denver's favored by four points. Give me the Raiders to win this game by the final score of 21-14. to 14. The Dallas Cowboys fly eastward and up north to Massachusetts to play the Patriots. Patriots got their second win of the season thanks to a game-winning field goal from McFolk against the Cowboys in-state rival Houston. 
the Dallas Cowboys are favored by three after they mopped the four with the Giants last time out. Dallas Cowboys, one of the best teams in the NFC and by far by a landslide best team in the NFC East. Give me the Cowboys to win this game by the final score of 31-17. to The Seattle Seahawks going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, both teams 2-3. and three. Seattle lost last time out, uh, what, a little over a week ago against at home against the Los Angeles Rams. They uh, fly eastward to play the Steelers for the second time in what, second time in three years? Second time, in, yeah, second time in three years. They play the Pittsburgh Steelers, of course, with the uh, 17th game. You know, the you know you match them up with the out of state with the added uh, conference opponent. So the AFC North plays the AFC. The AFC North plays the NFC West in the in the extra 17th game. First place winner or first place winner plays first place winner from last season. So it's you know the Rams. So it's the uh, so it's the Seahawks and the Rams. Rams and the Ravens. Browns and the Cardinals, uh, 49ers and the Bengals, and so on and so forth. Steelers favored by five points. Give me the Steelers to win this game by the final score of 21 to 17. And then you have the Buffalo Bills going up against the Tennessee Titans. Buffalo favored minus five points in the game, minus five and a half, I should say. Buffalo is just clicking on all cylinders. MVP-type play from Josh Allen. Absolutely phenomenal season he's had. And, of course, you have the Tennessee Titans who have just played their caucus off, uh, or have played their caucus off, I should say, in their win against the Jacksonville Jaguars last week. Give me the Buffalo Bills to win this game by the final score of 31-21. to And those are your week six picks in a league where they play for so you have NFL at your, you got, you know, three, you want to pick three games to pay attention to, four if you have your favorite team that's playing to play to pay attention to on Sunday, you got, um, you got the Chargers and the Ravens, your favorite team if you have one, whoever there's, whoever they're playing, Chargers, excuse me, Cardinals and Browns in the four o'clock window, Bills, Titans on Monday night, uh, Steelers and Seahawks if that fits your fancy, um, and of course, college football. Just see the college football games this weekend. You got Oklahoma State and Texas at noon. Uh, if you're, in, you know, if you're into that game, uh, uh, Kentucky versus Georgia. That's the SEC on CBS game of the week at three thirty. Um, and those are really, those are really the best games of uh, you know Oklahoma State and Texas and Georgia versus uh, and Georgia versus Kentucky Alabama will get themselves organized uh, going up against Mississippi State on Sunday after their loss last time out uh, by a game-winning field goal against Texas A&M last Saturday night and then of course you have game one of the ALCS on a Friday night, game one of the NLCS on Saturday night. So you get yourself a little playoff baseball along with two important key college football games outside of your favorite team if you have one. And, of course, NFL football. It's been another episode of the Amateur podcast in the books. If you're new to the program and you like what you heard, please do yourself a favor and subscribe. If you haven't already, follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it. It's your boy, Jai Shields. Enjoy the sports this weekend. I will talk to you next week. Y'all stay safe. Get vaccinated if you haven't already. See ya.